If you were with us on Wednesday, maybe you weren't, but we had started discussing eternal security. And, but now we're going to look at it a little bit more in depth uh, in the Word of God. So look at John chapter 6, verse 35. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. But I said unto you that ye also have seen me and believe not. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven, not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will, which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that every one which seeth the Son, and believeth on him, may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Now also look at John chapter 10, verse 27. John chapter 10. Believe I'm in, yeah. John chapter 10, verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. So when we talk about the security of the believer, the security of the saints, you'll hear me say perseverance or preservation. You'll hear me say these other words that mean the same thing. Basically, all perseverance, all security of the saints means is that you will endure in your salvation. Your salvation will not fall away or fail away. Uh, and that is taught throughout the scriptures. We saw the two places here just now in John chapter 6 and John chapter 10 where it teaches that. In Psalm 37 verse 28, it says this, For the Lord loveth judgment and forsaketh not his saints. They are preserved forever. Isn't that wonderful? Think about that. So think Psalm 37, 28. For the Lord loveth judgment and forsaketh not his saints. They are preserved forever. Now, when we start talking about security of the saints, security of the believer, which means that we will endure our salvation that we have had, we've been born again, we will persevere, we will endure uh, we will be saved to the uttermost. We will not lose our salvation. We will not forsake God. We, uh, if you are truly saved, you're not going to abandon the faith. You're not going to turn to an atheist. You're not going to have a type of fallaway behavior. But there are people who profess to be saved who do that behavior, that does have that behavior. And what the world views is apostasy. Now, when it comes to the, those are the two terms we're going to talk about. 
There's apostasy and there's security. They could not be any more different from one another. They're mutually exclusive. One, uh, apostasy teaches is that somebody who has been born again, who has been justified, who has received the Holy Spirit, they went through repentance, they went through faith, they have the hope of glory in their heart, they, they have uh, the Spirit of God, they teach that they can sin and ultimately lose that salvation and be utterly destroyed. That's apostasy. That's falling away. That's what some people teach. Now, the teaching of the Word of God is that it, that's impossible for someone who has truly been born again. It's impossible for someone to be an apostate, for someone to fall away. What security, now remember all those terms I use, there's security of the saints, there's perseverance. Uh, that is actually the P word in TULIP of the, the doctrines of grace. T, total depravity. U, unconditional election. L, limited atonement. I, irresistible grace. And P, perseverance of the saints. It's those five points that we will persevere. Now, um, when it teaches perseverance, and when the, the Bible does teach perseverance, it, it, those two verses that I, I read to you, we shall never perish. All that the Father has given unto him shall come to him, and in no wise he will cast out. We will endure. And so that's what perseverance means. It does not mean that we will do everything right. It does not mean that we'll be sinless. Perseverance doesn't mean that. Even though we're persevering in the faith, it doesn't mean that we're not going to fall. But we're going to fall in perseverance. We're going to fall in grace. And that's where we repent and believe and dust ourselves off and get up again and persevere and looking unto the Lord. Um, but we will not lose our salvation. Even though we fall, even though we mess up in our salvation, uh, we will not fall from our salvation. The Word of God teaches that. So, uh, as we compare apostasy and security, or apostasy and per perseverance, apostasy is based upon salvation by works, in whole or in part. Security is based upon salvation by God, by God's grace. Uh, the gospel, as I said Wednesday, is God-centric. It's not man-centric. It's about God saving sinners. That is what the gospel is. It's the good news that you in your helpless state, you who were destined to go to hell, paying for your own crimes against God, the good news is God has come to save us. It's his work. And God has put his stamp upon his work. And so if God has put his stamp on his work, he's put his stamp on all his works. And we don't see that falling apart. And if it does, it'd be by his design for it to. But salvation is not going to fall apart. Because we are saved for his namesake, by his namesake. Uh, we bring glory to God. It would not bring glory to God for his salvation not to be able to keep you saved. So the gospel of God is God-centric. Look what God has done. Not look how I've believed. So that's, that's the difference. Apostasy makes salvation a human project. Where perseverance makes salvation a divine project. 
if salvation is of man, failure is not only possible, but certain. Uh, I think it was Vaud Bonham. I think I read um, something on Facebook, and it was like his quote, and who knows, he may have quoted somebody else. But the truth of the matter is, if you could lose your salvation, you would. <laughs> That's the quote. If you could lose your salvation, you better believe you, you will. But it, we know that salvation's of the Lord, so it must be a success. One of the doctrines is established by Scripture, the other is denied by Scripture. Apostasy is denied by Scripture. Again, we get into the whole uh, people observing people who profess Christ, and then 10 years later, they're leading an atheist march. Or they're into this social group that promotes sin and, and, and public shame. And so by observation, people would be like, well, they were saved, but now obviously they've left. They've left the faith, they departed the faith, so they're apostates. So they're not using the word of God to base that judgment on. Uh, they're just using observation. Okay, so what says the scriptures? Now, some of these I did hit on Wednesday night. I'll hit them again, uh, but I won't focus too much on what we said Wednesday night. Security or perseverance of the saints is not, it's no part of the doctrine that says all church members are saved. Now, it, it, all church members should be saved. But we see that that's not always the case. Those who are saved will persevere in faith. That's who's saved. Uh, that is the fruits of your life. Hebrews 3.14 says, For we are partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. Uh, you know, many times dad would say it's not how you start, it's how you finish. And if you had a true conversion, a true confession of faith, you will finish still confessing, still uh, seeking God and, and repentance. John 8, 31 says, then Jesus said to the Jews which believed on him, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. And really that's where that whole teaching of the parable of the sower comes in. Those who received the word gladly and sprang up and had joy and had, you know, they got busy in the ministry. They got busy in the work. Uh, They're on fire. And then they just fell away. What happened? The sun came and scorched those uh, that grew up on stony ground. They had no root. They had, they had no grace in their heart. They had no Holy Spirit. The hardest life to live is the Christian life without the Holy Spirit. You, you can't do it. Um, so they sprang up not having root and then were scorched. And what scorched them were the trials, the worries, the cares of the life, the, the lust of the eyes and of the flesh, the pride of life. Uh, you know, so it was, and that's the danger of a lot of these churches that do emotionalism and and drag people down the aisle, lift your hand if you don't want to go to hell. Well, nobody wants to go to hells, but uh, they don't really meet them at the need of their heart. They're depending on, you know, just talking them into the answer they want to hear. And then they're emotional. And uh, I, I believe that is, is a big danger, deceiving, uh, especially children. Um, I believe that children who profess Jesus Christ, um, they should be vetted, that 
carefully and lovingly, or anybody who professes. Uh, this morning, somebody comes up, professes Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, and wants to be baptized. We will receive that person under the watch care of the church and give me some time to talk to them and, and just kind of see, uh, you know, just kind of ask some questions here and there and just kind of feel around. And I can't see their heart, but there's going to be some obvious things they're, they're going to know right off the bat. So, um, so we need to be careful. It, it's not just a, a numbers game. Uh, if it were a numbers game and it were an attendance thing, and, and that's what I was, that is, honestly, I prefer, we don't have an, I don't know if y'all noticed, we don't have an attendance board up on the wall. And I prefer that because our focus would be on the attendance. Our focus would be on uh, whatever means we have to take to reach the end. If you see the numbers and you're just like, well, I'd like to see that number be 50 consistently for Sunday school. Would you love to see at least 50 for Sunday school every Sunday? And then what we're going to do is we're going to focus on the numbers and not on the Lord. We're going to focus on our energies of humanity, how to get that number, how to do that, rather than what be pleasing to the Lord. And then you're going to run into the risk of compromising truth, the, the to bring your numbers up? Are you going to run the risk of receiving professions of faith that had no fruits of repentance, is what John the Baptist said. And then we're baptizing them and things like that. So um, that is something careful, which we do, and which the Lord had said, your ending confession of your life will be the same as your, the beginning confession of your salvation. Those who will endure will stay in his word. Uh, John, 1 John says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they'd been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. And what, that right there teaches security. If they had been of us, they no doubt would be with us right now. So no one who is really, really saved is going to go away from the Lord. They no doubt would have continued with us. But Jesus says, they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. Now, what should we see when we see people falling away from the faith or from the Lord or, or renouncing the Lord or going in the atheism? We shouldn't see that they were saved and lost it. We should see that their, their profession was ingenuine. That's, that's what the whole reason is there for that verse. And more importantly, not just us to see it, but for them to see it. And how many people do we know who thought they were saved? And then later in life, the Lord revealed to them they really weren't saved. And, and I tell you, I love stories like that because it's breaking the heart into humility. You know, uh, could you imagine the, the pride that would want to fight you? Let's say you've been say for 34 years or something, or you're a pastor or you're a preacher. There's been preachers that have been saved. There's been Sunday school teachers that have been saved. And uh, when the Lord actually convicts them of their heart, it automatically brings you into humility. And so, you know, they have to overcome that pride and say, the Lord has saved me. I've been saved. What I had before wasn't salvation, but I know he saved me now. So the first thing that eternal security and persever uh, perseverance of the saints 
teaches us is that not all people who profess Christ are actually saved. And if they're not actually saved, they, they not, not only can, but they will eventually fall away. Secondly, not everybody who is busy in religious works or in the church or in the ministry or anything of that nature, uh, the word of God is not saying that everybody who works and service for the Lord is saved. Uh, we know there's one way to be saved. It's not through works. It's not through giving, not through tithing. Now, all those things should come as a result of salvation, but it's not, if you're basing going to heaven on works or any of those works, that's not genuine salvation. Um, there was a group called the Flagellants. They were a, relig a religious sect in Italy in 13th century. They were active as long as they could parade in the streets and publicly scour scourge themselves. But when their public processions were prohibited, this religious sect died out. They could not survive in obscurity. So a lot of these religions out there are just wanting to be seen. They're wanting you to see their piety, their sacrifice, their knowledge, their wisdom. Their, uh, but once the public eyes off of them, they, they, they can't survive all alone. They have to, that's what's fueling them. That's what's making them go to church. That's what's doing all of their... I mean, you've got to look at what your motives are. Um, so we know that the, at the end of the days, the Lord will have many that come to them, him, and say, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, done all these marvelous works, did all these great things in your name? And the Lord will say, depart from me, ye that work iniquity, I never knew you. I never knew you. He didn't say, oh, yeah, I once knew you, and then you fell away by your own choice, and now, no, I never knew you. From the beginning, I never knew you. So uh, we know that, and the more that we drill into this subject, the more kind of absurdity you're going to start seeing that people hold to this, to this uh, apostasy. Now, security of the saints, like I said, in no part means that saints will not fall. Saints have fallen, been bruised, and lived to tell the story. Uh, sometimes the Lord takes them home. Sometimes the Lord uh, turns their life around and they have a story. And they have something they can share with other people. Saints fall into sin. And if there is, is there really any saint who would ever deny falling into sin? I would think not. I would hope not. Uh, so, you know, the Bible says if you say you have no sin, you deceive yourselves. You're a liar. And... What do we do? We confess our sins before Christ, and he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. The sinner was not saved by becoming sinless, and so he is not kept saved by being sinless. I got three lines. The sinner was saved by trusting Christ as Savior, and he is kept saved by the power of God through faith. The sinner continues as he began, a poor, helpless sinner trusting in a mighty Savior. A born-again person can never be lost because he will never renounce their faith in Christ and go about looking for another Savior. Um, 
we don't have to turn there, but there's three verses in Micah 7, 8. I love this. Here's proof that we can fall in grace, but not fall from grace. Micah 7, 8 says, Rejoice not against me, O mine enemy. When I fall, I shall arise. When I sit in the darkness, the Lord shall be a light unto me. Proverbs 24, 16 says, A just man falleth seven times and riseth up again. Psalm 37, The steps of a good man are ordained by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. And just how it thrills our hearts, because we know that we fall short. We know that we fail. We know that uh, despite our best efforts and despite uh, praying and, and asking the Lord to forgive us, that we all sin. And there's a frustration with it. There's, there is uh, this duality that Paul was talking about in Romans chapter 7, that we have. We strive against the flesh. All right, so as we move on, we saw three things that the Bible does not say about security of the saints. Now, what does it say? What proves, what proofs do we have? Turn to Romans chapter 8 with me. The Bible teaches that a saint. Now, a saint is anyone who God has saved. You don't have to be perfect to be a saint. Nobody's perfect. Uh, the saint, the word saint, has gotten misdefined, and it's you have a bad perception. I'd say most population think of a saint as somebody who is perfect, or who doesn't sin, or who is this perfect person. And I think a lot of that has to do with the interpretation that the Catholics give the term saint. They believe only a, uh, they believe in something called progressive justification. And only when you've reached the perfection of the righteousness, which is inside of you, can you reach sainthood. Uh, but that's not what the Bible teaches. Paul calls all the members of the church saints. Saint means set apart. God has set you apart, warts and all. The Lord continues to have to, for, to forgive you of your sins. I mean, we know that he forgave all your sins from the beginning, but we still feel the power of sin in our lives, but we're still saints. We've still been set apart by God's work. It's God's salvation. Remember, it's his work. God has done the work upon you, has separated you to him. You're in a new position. You have a new standing. You're a new person, and you have a new destiny. And you are his. And because you are God's, you, are, you have been separated, consecrated for him, for his purpose. You are a saint. That is the Bible's hagiaso. It, it also means holy. The, the, the term for us, more than any other term in the Bible, I mean, Christians only mentioned once or twice, is saint. It's hagiaso. It's holy. So we've been set apart to for him. Now, the fact is, is if you are a saint of God, if you've been separated, you've been elected by God the Father, redeemed by Jesus, and you've been regenerated by the Holy Spirit, the Bible teaches us that he will not fail. You will stay saved, and if you are saved. So 
look at this, and I know this will be a blessing for you. The saint is secure because all the persons of the Godhead are for you. And look at 8, chapter 8. Oh, I was in chapter 9. Sorry. Look at chapter 8, verse 31. What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? God is for us. And all the powers that come with God. The Godhead is all for us. Romans chapter 8 is a beautiful chapter of the ministry of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, how all things work together for our good and for His glory. It gives us a beautiful, beautiful doctrine of how God had accomplished our redemption and how the Holy Spirit's ministry is not just in our salvation but in our daily walk, how God the Father's uh, accomplished our salvation, not just in salvation but our daily walk and uh, Jesus in our daily walk. And we are, we are brought to the fact that, you know, a lot of people think that God can go either way. You know, uh, okay, if it's up to you whether you have a successful Christian life, but I'll be here in case you need me. No, there is, God is for us. God is for us. And he puts things in our life to bring us to him. And we have to see that power. We have to see the fact that God is not just some disinterested third party. He's involved. He's involved with your walk. He's involved with your life. He wants you to have joy and bring glory to him in your life. And there's a beautiful tapestry here in chapter 8 that shows us that. Well, first of all, first, the, the, our topic today is the security of the saints, is feel your security of salvation is in the Lord. That's the first thing. I mean, there's many things we can talk about with Romans chapter 8. But our topic today is the perseverance that you have of, of your salvation, of God's salvation. The Father is for us in election. Look at verse 33. He says, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? And God is for us in our predestination. In verse 29, to whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. In verse 30, he is for us in that he has effectually called us. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. Remember in John where it says that whom he calls, they will come. We will come. We will hear our shepherd's voice and we will come and follow after him. That's the effectual call. When God makes his call, he gets the response he wants. Now, when I make the call, I, sometimes I don't. But, you know, I've learned that my, I shouldn't expect results, good or bad, with my call because it must be God's call that penetrates your heart, and that's the call I want. Uh, many preachers just, they need a, they're overstepping. They're learning this power of persuasion. And so I'm going to persuade you to do something God's not working in your heart to do. That doesn't help you, and it doesn't help the church. Because now we've got members who aren't spiritual, who aren't submissive and sweet like they should be. 
they're still stubborn or stiff-necked or hard in pride. And then pretty soon it starts to show. There starts to be a little rip in that unity. So um, I give a general call and I just trust the Lord will use it. And he may not even use it here. He may not even use it for our benefit. It may, that person may go somewhere else and, and you know, the Lord save them just from us planting and somebody else watering. Whatever brings the glory, that's what Paul even said. Some, some preach the gospel in pretense. Some preach the gospel to attack me. Either way, the gospel is being preached, so Paul said, I joy. <laughs> I joy. Uh, actually, he said, I feel sorry for people who are huffing and puffing and get their blood pressure all up attacking me. I've got peace. I've got joy. They're the ones with the problem, not me. Um, he is for us in justification. It is God that justifieth in Romans 8.33. God the Father is for us in the gift of his Son. He that spared not, in verse 32, his own Son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall, we not with, uh, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? In his purpose also to glorify us, in verse 30, Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. And if you remember, all those verbs are in the past tense. They're in the aorist. It means that in the mind of God, it's, it is as if it's already been done. I've not been glorified yet, have you? I've, no, none of us have been glorified yet. But that's a past tense verb. It says that he's already glorified us. So it's already done. It's a done deal. We're going to be glorified. Uh, we don't have to wait and see if it happens. It's going to. Um, so that seems pretty secure to me that we're already uh, bound and determined for glorification. Secondly, the Son is for us in redemption and in intercession. And look at verse uh, 34. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. So God the Father determined it. God the Father justified us. And Jesus is the one who performed it. God determined it. Jesus performed it. And the Holy Spirit's the one who applied it. And so we can see now the ministry of the, the Trinity how it is God's work upon us. So God the Son is for us in intercession, in his second coming. Uh, John, uh, Jesus says, if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And we know that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, it said, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. So Jesus performed it and he's going to come get his. Uh, I just couldn't imagine that shout, that trump in the air when the Lord returns. All eyes are going to, they're going to stop. Every problem on earth is going to be just nothing. 
every eye's going to look up and see him coming. The Holy Spirit is for us. In the regeneration, you hath he quickened who are dead in sins and trespasses. In intercession, we see Romans chapter 8, verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. So not only is Jesus interceding for us in verse 34, the Holy Spirit is interceding for us in our hearts when we have wordless groanings, uh, when we have confusion about what the will of God is. And that's what that whole thing is, is in verse 27. And he, the Spirit, searcheth the hearts, knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Isn't that wonderful? There's many times you just don't know what the will of God is. Is it fight, flight? Is it persevere? Is it uh, you've got all, you just, when you do not know the secret will of the Lord, and we don't, and you're trying to make sense of why you're still going through what you're going through. Um, the Holy Spirit knows what the will of the Lord is and intercedes on our behalf. And it brings us joy and peace and comfort in the will of God. We don't know, know what the will of God is. I pray one day he'll help us turn around and see uh, what his will was, the ripples. And, um, you know, you help that person this way and it could be somebody in a different country <laughs> you know it could be it could be somebody 50 years from now um, so you never know you never know um, so the Holy Spirit is for us and will be for us he's a, set us as a seal he will raise our bodies up from the grave and you know what is beautiful about the seal of the Holy Spirit is the seal is a guarantee it's a guarantee of delivery. And so it marks ownership, and God has given us the seal, the Holy Spirit, the earnest of the Holy Spirit, the down payment of the Holy Spirit, and he has sealed us. So we're his. We are his, and he's going to reclaim all that are his. He's going to claim all of us. And so it's a guaranteed delivery to him. All right, so continuing. Oh, I've gone way over, haven't I? Okay. The attributes of God are for us, the will of God, the power of God. I'm going to fly through these, I'm sorry. The love of God, God's mercy for us, God's word and his oath. Chapter 6, if you come out Wednesday uh, or listen to the sermon on Wednesday, we're going to talk about the immutability of God's counsel and towards the security. The security of our salvation is on the basis of God his attributes and his will for us, his justice. And these saints are no longer under the law. Christ is the end of the law for all those who believe. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness for all those who believe. That you know that you can perfectly obey all of the law if you could and still be under the law. Do you know that? Christ was under the law. He obeyed all the law. You know the only way to be freed from the law is for a death. And that's what Paul had brought up in Romans chapter 7. The law of the marriage between the husband and the wife. There had to be a death before the woman was freed from that law. And so Paul says, count yourself dead into the law because Christ has fulfilled the law for us. Even, we've got to come out from under the law. 
There shall no flesh be justified uh, under the law. So because Christ has died, we have died to the law because Christ paid for our sins. Beautiful teaching there. Sorry I'm doing a flyby of it. Uh, lastly and most importantly, there is no law by which the one who trusts in Jesus Christ can be condemned. There's not one law that can condemn you if you're in Christ because Christ has paid all the law. He's fulfilled all of it. We've become dead to it. Now we're under grace. And it goes deeper and deeper into just our beautiful security, which we have in God and the saints that we have. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for this morning. Thank you, Father, for your eternal word. What a treasure. What a pearl. Great price. Father, may we just faithfully serve. And Father, may our attitudes and uh, desires, Father, as we look at this new year, May you just put a desire within us to grow, be committed to you, to be a help, to be a blessing, and Father, to worship you more. And we love you, and we thank you for all your blessings that you are going to do. We pray for the Huddlesons. Be with them, Father, in a mighty way. In Jesus' name, amen.